This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Well, this is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hello, I'm Jake, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take a play or film that has either never been staged before or is never likely to be staged again, and we talk about how we stage it. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Hello. And today we are talking about a Black Mirror episode called 15 Million Merits. Yeah, the second episode of the first series, so it was written in 2011, Mm -hmm. so this would be kind of sort of taking it on stage, but also maybe slightly revamping it. Uh, for now, I guess mm. um, you know, not that that was that long ago, but things have certainly moved on. I think since we have. Then. I think we have moved on in certain ways. And so, and Charlie Brooker, who, who who wrote it, he was, as you were saying to me just just a moment ago, he was a journalist at this time, really, or just just coming coming away from being a journalist. Yeah. So he because he was wrote as a tech journalist for a long time, and mm. so this was like his first sort of foray into TV. To translate it to stage, you definitely need to change a few things. Mm. Um, do you want to start by just? Give a rundown of the plot. Yeah. Basic. Yeah, sure. Uh, in fact, I've got, my, I've got my big moments here. So um, I guess, so we start off by being introduced to the world in which the Brother Brooker is building here, which is essentially, he gives us a, a main character to follow around, but everyone in the world is in pretty much the same situation. They live in a kind of box room sort of thing with screens everywhere, and that's how they interact with the world. That's how they purchase things. They never buy things and then use them later. They always buy things at the point of purchase. And then they go to work and they all have the same job, apart from some classes of people, but mainly all have the same job, which is they ride bikes. We assume, although it's not explicit, that they're generating electricity. And that is the world that is created. And then uh, the main plot, is that there is a, a kind of talent competition uh, akin to the X Factor or something along those lines, and we see how our, our character and the people he meets enter those competitions. Yeah, so the, the sort of romantic lead, he kind of makes sure that she can enter the competition to sing because he thinks that she's a really great singer, and then we see kind of like the the sort of consequences of going on a competition like that and coming out not doing the thing that you're expecting to do, and then at the end... He goes on the competition himself to kind of make a statement about everything that's gone before. And the same thing ends up happening to him. Yeah, exactly. He ends um, up in the same situation. Yeah, that's a pretty simple rundown of what, what's going on. Yeah. I guess, for me, the first thing to talk about would be where, like, what kind of location would you put this on in? Cause, because of the nature of the sort of the small uh, rooms and it's all, like, screens around everything, you could put it on in a black box studio mm. but also I, you know I think that there's ways that you could kind of expand it to the size of like a big sort of playhouse theatre mm. um, kind of like a you know your typical like repertory theatre or like a West End yeah I mean I certainly thought that when you've got we've got all these scenes where um, there is an audience yeah. there's a big huge audience and to make a kind of a non-audience feel like that I thought would be really interesting so yeah, yeah. I was I was kind of imagining it in a in, a, in quite a big theatre. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm yeah. very much up for going down that route because um, I've got a few ideas okay. yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So if we're saying we're in like a big sort of like a 600-seater kind of theatre, mm-hmm. what sort of uh, set 
are you kind of envisaging here? So, I mean, so, I, so I've got here, I'll just quickly read out my kind of list of, of settings. But uh, So we start with kind of, kind of the light box rooms. Yes. Uh, that I kind of thing. And there are multiple of those. There's our main characters and then there's all sorts of other characters have their own ones. Then there's the gym, which is sort of just a longer version of one of those, is, is how I saw it. But with exercise bikes. With exercise bikes. And then there's a kind of lunch break room and a toilet room. Again, they're all it's all very similar kind of on the walls. And then you just have slightly different things going yeah. on inside. And then you have um, an elevator. And then you just have this, um, the kind of uh, big stage where all of the auditions take place. And then just small little corridors and things that they go through to get from one place to another. And so I kind of took from that that in some way I was thinking we could have some sort of box well three-sided box type thing that can have back projection or screens or however it is we'd want to do it to create that kind of sense of locked inness and, yeah. and and have and those screens that are shown everywhere and those might be able to in some way move around to create the different spaces and then other things come in that was where this i was going at, where were you i was kind of at exactly the same mm. place i think what you do is I, I, for me, if it's on a big space, you could have three walls of like three of these panels on mm-hmm. each wall, right? But then one of the panels on each wall can like slide on sliders, perhaps mm-hmm. slide in to create the small box in the middle mm-hmm. for the bedrooms. I think there are, in terms of the bedrooms, actually, the moments where we see other people's bedrooms are perhaps kind of impossible to replicate on stage because it's cutting away to them. Exactly. And also, I don't think there's all that much to be gained from those, um, apart mm. from developing those characters slightly. But actually, and also, yeah, we, we discussed before that the, it, the whole thing is slightly hammier than we remember, mm. and those are some of the hammiest moments. Yes. I think I think that the, the, the scenes in all of the separate bedrooms that it cuts away to are some of the hammiest of the scenes. And, and so actually, if we had the bedroom set for just the main bedroom, that would work. But having these three screens w- would be great because it, it means that you have you, you, you kind of can project everything that you need on there so mm. you were talking about the corridor scenes and things like that um, the backstage for that main stage scene you, it, it is just a long red light along a, a, along a wall mm. you can just make that from the screens on stage yeah, sure. so in some ways the setting like you said would come from uh, minimal p- bits of set e.g. like the, the exercise bikes, but also just be projected onto the screens. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, either projected uh, or use digital screens that yeah. you could move along. Yeah. But I think you can put those on sliders, right? On a big space yeah. like that. I wouldn't want to put the things that are real onto the screen, so like the exercise bikes. Yes, bike, exactly. Because that would blur the line between, because the whole, almost, not the whole point, but part of the point of, the, of it is, is what's real and what's not, and what matters and what doesn't, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even for those moments where you're cutting, where the, the, the film cuts away, we could those people don't have to be in those spaces the yes. whole time. They could just come out onto the onto the full stage and just be there if we wanted to do those moments, um, which I think would still work quite well. Yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah, but I, yeah, so I think in terms of set, that, that works. And it's all like sort of that very kind of sci-fi kind of clean cut, like mm-hmm. everything is very minimalist, very plain. It's kind of like, sort of like future Soviet kind of-esque style. Yeah, yeah. It's um, very like, oh, imagine a dystopia. Yeah. It's it's very it's it doesn't it's not you know it's not the most creative thing in the world as far as that's concerned and, and we could play with that and you know I think I was imagining um, have you seen the Curious Incident? 
actually yeah, in the West End. No. So it was sort of what we're describing, but very much on the walls of the theatre, on the back three walls of the theatre. And there were various lights that would come on and stuff like that. And there wasn't projection as such that was this detailed, but there was, it felt very clean and, and almost like a black box that you could look into, mm. which I thought worked quite well. Yeah. Um, I guess if we're talking dystopia, then we could, that can bring us on to the costumes yeah absolutely i mean the, the costumes are just sort of like these gray tracksuit type things mm. and i think there wouldn't be much point for the stage changing that at all actually no because the, the aesthetic works um mm. and it and it fits the kind of thing they're going for um and it, it doesn't need to be elaborate in that way i don't know what you think yeah no i i agree on, on those basic costumes um the difficulty between stage and camera is identifying characters that maybe some audience members are too far away to to be able to see the details of their faces and so it might be quite difficult if they're all wearing grey mm-hmm. but equally I don't think there's much way around that without kind of breaking the whole point of it and then obviously on top of these we have the the people in yellow which who I found really interesting and I hadn't really noticed the last time I saw this who are kind of an underclass of people who are not fit for whatever reason to go on the exercise bikes and uh, they wear yellow and there's even like a COD zombie style game in which you kill them yeah. for some reason and I mean there's not that much detail on, on who they are or what they are but I thought uh, that was interesting to kind of differentiate them as as well and uh, on top of that of course you've got the the upper class people who can wear whatever clothes they want yeah. and, and that's mentioned quite a lot yeah although we only really see that through the judges on the talent show mm. but at the same time I don't think we need to see it anywhere anywhere else in some ways. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of costume, that I mean, that makes it simple. In terms of that identifying thing, I think that um, in terms of the actual central characters, like the only real central characters are the two main characters, um, the the main and the main character and the, and the romantic lead. And I think that that would be identifiable enough from the fact that there's not that much dialogue in, in this play and that uh well you know in, in the, if this was the play and so therefore there wouldn't be they would be the only ones really having dialogue that mm. much um and i think that would kind of become clear who was who was important who wasn't in it in that yeah sense. i agree i think that's true um and yeah and in terms of cost um obviously when you're doing a film there's hundreds of different actors in this in this film mm. but um we i kind of was writing down the main characters yeah and who who they might be and who and how much multi-rolling we might be able to squeeze in. So obviously, if we're trying to stage this, we're trying to keep it on a low budget, we're trying to have as few cast members as possible. So I thought we could think about that a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have the lead, obviously, and then the love interest singer type person. Yeah. And then the jealous previous love interest that he wasn't interested in. Yeah. And then we've got the bloke who buys into it and is kind of uh, represents in a quite a hammy way represents someone who well the idea seems to be what if all there was to entertain you was x factor and he really represents the result i think of that of reality tv being all there is in your life so he seems to kind of represent that anyway and then you've got various kind of cleaners and staff members around and then you're kind of and then the very upset and agitated um, I'm a good singer um, character who never gets to audition and then the judges and that's it sort yeah. of thing um, so I think really that's a cost of, of four probably plus of, 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 of principles plus maybe two or three 
other people who would play all those other, those other parts? I think you could definitely do it with yeah six or seven. Yeah. Um, I think I think yeah you need the lead and a romantic lead and then yeah yeah like you said that like the, the guy who kind of buys into it all and then the the sort of the jealous romantic. Um, but apart from that, yeah, the rest of it could be covered by not many people. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking even just like the, the bike rooms, you know, in, in the show, there's like 10, 12 bikes. You could have it with just six bikes. And, oh, and, sure. and I think that would have just as much impact. Yeah. And um, I was thinking about this, that you can you can create even better, really, that sense of claustrophobia if you have a very small space that you make with the, with the boxes. Um, uh, and having those walls kind of closed in as well, I'm just thinking like with on the outside of those boxes, you'd still have quite a lot of stage space. And I think actually that would be quite interesting. Yeah. So kind of action taking place outside of the, the box. Or, or almost, or maybe no, or maybe not having or anything just that outside it, that box. And, and it just feels very empty. Um, yeah, just limiting the size of the stage yeah. space. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. My thought as well was about the, the moment with the judges, whether you have those as um, actual actors and you have them, there's kind of multiple ways you could do it. You could either have them sat in front of the audience where the judges would be for an actual sort of live recording of The X Factor, mm. or you could have them over the other way around, or even you could not even have them on stage and just have them projected onto the back, mm. and, and they could just be pre-recorded characters. They wouldn't mm. even need to be in the show. Mm. I don't know what you thought about that. Yeah, um, and then the, the fourth option is just having them as a kind of backstage voiceover as well. Um, I thought through all of those, and... and and couldn't decide which one I like best. What do you think the different effects of having them facing the audience or facing or being in the audience would would be? I think having them be in the audience would be what you what you mentioned about it would feel as though the audience was part of that performance as if it was the X Factor or Britain's Got Talent yeah. or whatever. I think that that would kind of accentuate that. Um, I think having them face the audience means obviously we just get to see them. The other option that you could potentially think about, I was watching this production of Macbeth last weekend and in his main um, out-out brief candle monologue, he's just sat in his throne and then they live record his face and project that onto the back screen. Uh, you could even have them sat where they would be for an actual recording of X Factor or whatever, but then you live record their faces and project that onto the back mm. screen. That could potentially kind of get the best of both of those mm. worlds. Yeah, almost like uh, like a concert when you can see them, but then you can see them on the stage exactly. on the back as well. I think that would work really well. Yeah, I think that yeah, might be the best so. the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, if we're talking about kind of those big moments then, I mean, first of all, I think there's the, there's the projection as a whole, actually. And I think we've kind of both agreed that we want Either projection or TV screens, however, would be easiest to do it on on the set. But there's a lot of stuff going on that is timed exactly with actors' movements. Um, and would you just think that the best way to do that would just to be rehearse it down so that things happen when people do certain movements? I think it's a mixture of rehearsing it down, but also um, there's, a, there's a way of creating that animation so that... Um, things only take place when the operator presses the next button mm. to take place. And it would just be about... Record, yeah, having those movements work down to a T, but then also uh, having that projection kind of malleable to work with the performance, which is definitely very doable. Mm. I mean, stuff like at the beginning where he like knocks the cockerel off with the swipe of his hand, mm. well, you can just do that with as soon as the, the tech he sees his arm swipe, then they just press the next button and the next yeah. cue is the cockerel jumps off. Yeah. Um, and I, part of the good thing about having it 
that I was thinking about the animation style because in the show it's very cartoony. It's like Mies in, in yeah, it's very Wii, Pixar right? or like that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I wondered whether it, would you, we would want to update the animation or make it look less sort of cheap. But actually, I think that kind of works for mm. for what it is. It's that whole point of like everything in that world is cheap and is kind of like it's, it's meant to be the most palatable and the the kind of like the 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 kind of least high quality kind of version of everything. So when when people are buying it, the whole point is that they're not paying for anything of any value. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I think that sticking to that animation style, but it also means that that kind of queued up animation wouldn't look unnatural yeah. um, to the audience as well. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, so do you think, because that, that would cost quite a bit of money to, to animate and get and put together, do you think that it would be possible to stage this without a big budget or do you think you'd really need to get that working i think it would be i think if you're going for a big theater the, i mean it'd be the money you save on a large cast would of go course, into yeah, animation yeah. essentially yeah i think it would be a relatively large uh, budget but it, it it just wouldn't function without that kind of interactivity between the actors and the projection mm-hmm. and there's just no i mean yeah i think i was thinking about because th- i think there's no way of doing it without having that kind of malleability within the animation but also the way I was kind of viewing this is actually some of it because there's so little dialogue some of it could feel sort of dance like in the way you put it together Mm. so for example like when the bikes come on and they're all riding the bikes and we're seeing the different screens you could even put like all of that on like um, wheeled sections of stage and you could have each bike that we want to emphasize their screen wheeled to the center of the stage oh. see that screen and then wheeled back I really like and that. that could be to music and you could do that with the bikes but you could also do it um, the scene where he's waiting in the in the waiting room before he goes on stage mm. and then it cuts to all of the people in the room you could have that choreographed to music and you and that could almost be like a dance scene mm. and he's just stuck in that room waiting mm. Um so yeah, in some ways, um, can't remember the point I was making. No. But, but as in, like, I, I think there's a certain element of um, you couldn't choreograph it or rehearse it well enough for the animation to just be run. Yeah. But at the same time, I think an element of choreography throughout and having it feel kind of like a dance throughout mm-hmm. would be quite an interesting thing to try. Yeah, yeah. What about if there was a a revolve? It's itself, or would you want actors moving things around? I did think about a revolve, but I think that um, if we want it to feel like this cl- enclosed space of a room, a revolve would kind of confuse some of that, I mm. think. But actually, if you had it as the room, but then you had... Well, because they're all dressed in the plain grey clothes, you can just have actors or... ASMs or whatever, moving those bits of set and yeah. it would look relatively natural. Mm. Obviously, there's a kind of surrealism or a kind of break of the naturalism there. But I think it would work with, with the kind of content of the show. I agree, yeah. I think, I think it really would. Uh, so, so as you were saying, there's a lot of underscoring in the, in the film. And I was thinking about, oh, what if you took all of this out and just used, you know, realistic soundscapes? It would be quite quiet. It would, there'd be long moments of... I mean, the first 10 minutes is pretty drawn out anyway, probably pretty slow. Do you agree? I think I think I think it needs that underscoring and, and some kind of composed music. I think it does. I think it'd be really dull if it was just like, because I mean, what, you know, what would that soundscape be? It would just be like the churning of bikes mm. and like the occasional cough. Like there's nothing. Yeah. There. And in fact, what was really effective was occasionally the underscoring would cut out and you get just that noise. And I think that might be really effective on stage yes, as well. Yeah. That kind of brings us on to talk about sound a little bit. I suppose. Mm. I think for me, the sound. Yeah. As we're saying, I, I think the best thing to do would have it pretty much con- continuous score mm. and then occasion yeah occasional moments of silence um but then also 
Um, I think about th- those moments where um, he gets the viewer warning when he stops viewing the videos. Oh, that was... And, yeah. I mean, it's great on the show, but the amount that you could do with stage, because mm. you could bring out completely red lights, red screens, um, and that high-pitched sound could have such an impact on the audience, which I don't think it actually can in the in the show mm. that we watched. Yeah, that was, that was really the first moment in the when I was watching it where I thought, oh, this would look so good on stage. Um, so just to kind of summarise it, there's this moment where... Um, He's surrounded by screens in his room, and, and if he looks away, uh, red light comes onto, kind of shutters come onto all the screens, a piercing, high-pitched noise, sort of pinta hothouse style, comes on, uh, telling him that it won't go away unless he looks back at the screen. And it's it's quite terrifying. And yeah, I think there'd be so much you could do with that. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And that's through lights and sound. You could definitely have a big impact on the audience in that moment mm. where they, you could make it very uncomfortable for them mm. to kind of reflect what's happening and which you just can't get that on a TV show no. in the same way yeah, you can yeah for sure and so thinking about um, lights then and then we can come on to specific moments in a second in general I think you know other than interfering with projection I think there'd be a lot to do here I think um, again yeah a lot of a lot of maybe blinding the audience occasionally lighting very distinct small and and, and cut up squares areas of the stage um, would be really effective well I was going to say in the TV show that there's the um, we see the ceiling and there's these square sort of um, kind of what do you call it Fluorescent, fluorescent yeah. lights. That's it. Yeah. There's like square fluorescent lights in like ceiling panels, and mm. I think that you could hang ceiling panels that are fluorescent mm. lights on above the actual stage, mm. and and have that effect there. Yeah. But as you say, then you can have the control over each of those different panels, and you could set it that they light different squares of the stage. Mm. So yeah, that's definitely something that you could play with, um, especially if you were doing sort of different choreographed moments of transition. Yeah. Um, as well, obviously, you've got those moments, the, the sort of the X Factor moments where there is a spotlight on the main character, whoever's singing. Um, so you can play with that. Um, yeah, the red light with the moment with the the shutters. Um, so they've kind of yeah, all sorts. Of, uh, besides the screens, there's kind of all sorts of things you could do. Mm. Um, but I think mostly as well, it would just be kind of a neutral cold wash across the whole thing as well, because it's, you know, that whole thing of it being a neutral, sterile world, mm. and, and that you can get that across in the lighting as well. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so uh, I think, I, I agree with all of that, but then there's one thing that the, the audience needs to be able to see the whole time, I think, or most of the time, and that's the credit counter. Uh, how how are you thinking of doing that? Well, I was thinking about that because you can obviously have that on the screens, but the the other thing I was thinking, especially in these choreographed moments, is what what's missing is what what's different between a TV show and a theatre is that in the TV show you literally can just like for example the mon the montage where he's working his credits mm. back up, you literally can just show multiple scenes of his work him working his credits back up on stage. That's a lot harder to do. I think what would be more interesting is if you brought him center stage on a bike mm. and you had his screen there and he's going at it mm. and you see the, the 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 counter going up, but then you also you know we could write some kind of monologue in there about you know like him de- him describing that experience to get back to the top yeah. so you know like i'm riding every hour of the day like i you know i i him describing what what we see so like in, instead of uh, buying 
junk food that I'm, you know, I'm scavenging food that I can get off anyone else. I'm mm. using that the trick with the vending machine that we see earlier on mm. to get an apple when someone else misses it and things like that. And you have him describing that experience whilst we see the clicker going up. Mm. Um, that way, you kind of get over that thing of it's impossible to show that as a montage yeah. on stage. Yeah. And instead, we, we get the constant action of who on the bike, but you get that kind of explained in a way that I think would be relatively interesting. Yeah, I think it would be. I, I'd worry that the counter on one of those screens would be too small and so I was toying with the idea of for him a kind of maybe it would only come up at this moment but a kind of more like a a big LED kind of counter thing that might either be I don't know maybe on the back of the judges desks if that's at audience level or maybe up in the prosc or like something like out of the way but something that can appear what would you think of that was that too in your face do you think? I think that could definitely work for that moment you wouldn't want to use it anywhere else I don't think or maybe use it just at the moment that moment and the moments where he does the big transactions of the 15 million mm. credits yeah um, I think that could definitely work in those moments yeah and it's using again it's trying to go beyond just we, we, we give our we set ourselves the boundaries of that box but then we also try and work outside of that as well yeah, and I think that that would be useful for that yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of outside of that box we have this moment right at the end in the in the film where um, the camera focuses for a long time on his face and he moves out of his new living quarters or in well he's in his new living quarters and he moves around it and we see that it's a lot bigger than normal and then suddenly he has orange juice and he has he has he can own an object which is something we don't see previously um, and then it, the camera focuses a long time on his face and then it turns around to reveal that he has a view of um, what we have never seen before, which is the outside world. And that feels, um, watching the film, very effective because we've only seen these black squares up to now and suddenly we can see green, which I don't think is in any of the rest of the film, and we can see the sky and we can see kind of outside things. I had a couple of ideas for how we might do that moment on stage. What what were you thinking? Well, I kind of had a thought about, because where he's... He's filming in like a studio that's set up to look like one of those black boxes mm. and then he steps outside and it's white. I was kind of thinking you could have kind of like half of his old bedroom set that we use earlier in the show mm. and where he films that moment. And then um, that break away and those panels go back to the big box, but then that could come up white. Mm. And then when he walks around to see outside the window, I think you could actually project that green as if it was the window and then have the two sides white as if it was the room. And the kind of point I was going to make, because the reason that to us we just assume it's real when we look at that window is because everything else is this weird animation style. But actually there's kind of a a sort of ambiguous point to be made of, do we even know that that's the real outside Mm. world that he's looking out to? Mm. And actually by us projecting it or putting it on these digital screens, it's kind of like, oh, that looks real, but, but we know as people watching it in the theatre, like the way that they're doing that, the way that we'd be doing it is by projecting it. And there's, so there's a kind of dissonance between the way we're doing it and what it's representing, which could bring some ambiguity of, well, actually, what he reaches at the end, is it even an opportunity to look out into the real world? Yeah. Or is it just a projection of the real world that he's been he's kind of bought into um, in the end? I don't know if that's mm. an interesting way of doing it or... No, I think, I think it really is. And I, w- I think I was thinking along the similar lines. I was thinking of ways of possibly, and I think actually thinking about them, I think I prefer what you've said, but I was thinking of ways in which we could include the audience more in these last moments because I think we, we would be involving them quite a lot towards the end and of some way of kind of a lot of white light to me on stage represents natural sunlight suddenly streaking in. Mm. Um, 
and to have him in some way be able to step so that again as you say that that back wall is the either the real world or maybe we don't know and for him to look at it and maybe for that to come up just as you said but then also for that light to come through the window and to i was thinking of this moment where that that light could blind the audience and then once the blinding has subsided the house lights are up and it's the end of the show sort of thing and we don't get that moment of kind of clapping sort of thing and i then, think that's and a really interesting idea yeah so i mean that definitely you can work that alongside my mm. idea so you can have that moment where he goes and he looks at the screen and we see that it's being projected mm. of this what looks like the real world but then you bring the you could bring blinders up on the audience um from behind from by you know on top of that screen but also kind of like f- further forward mm. um and yeah and just fully blind the audience and whilst you do that you can just that screen could just fade to white as mm. well and then the house lights come up yeah. and that's yeah that, i think that works really well yeah, actually the yeah, effective yeah, ending yeah. for the play yeah absolutely yeah we haven't talked about props because there aren't very many there aren't but really. they're very effectively used Yes. Um, Yeah. You have the shard that he gets, and then thinks of an idea to use it, and we don't really understand what he's using it for until quite late on. Um, And when we have that uh, kind of compliance milkshake, that again we think, oh, he's just got it there. Why has he got it there? And then we see that he uses it to stop himself drinking it before he goes out on stage. And then we've got the apples and the little cardboard things that are folded out of them again as representations of the lack of ability to own property in this world. And that's that's it really. Um, yeah, I suppose those things for his final plan, um, I wondered whether, because what I talked about with that, that monologue in the montage, whether he mentions what he's going to use them for, whether it'd be unclear on stage otherwise. Or, because uh, although in the in the TV show it's a kind of reveal, actually we uh, him explaining what he's using them for on stage would still work as a way of showing his sort of wit and his kind of native, like, sort of in- ingenuity in, in, in trying to find a, a kind of solution. I don't know whether that would work or whether there's a way of making more of the props so that the audience understands that he's got those props and then he's using them for very specific tasks um, towards the end. I don't know mm-hmm. what, what you think about that. So do you think that our, our main character knows the audience is there and he talks to them as if as if they're there? Oh, I've just had an idea. Perhaps he talks to them in monologue and then we realise at the end that those monologues have been part of that TV show that he gets into at the end. And and him saying it from perspective of, of of embellishment and advertising for the entertainment of those people on the bikes, and maybe we realise at the end that that's that's what those were. What do you think of that? I really like that. Yeah, I really like that. And you could even make his final, you know, his final monologue um, with the shard to his neck. Um, not the one on the talent show, but the one after where it's part of the TV show. Mm. You could all, almost have him g- giving that monologue on a bike as well. Mm. Um, and you could then bring that whole thing together. I really like that as an idea. Yeah. I think it makes more out of that idea of him selling out. And I think it makes more out of as well that interaction with an audience that has to take place on stage that doesn't on screen. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Cool. <laughs> that could kind of bring all of that together. Yeah, cool. for sure. I'm just looking at um, some other moments that we have. We've got the moment where he first hears this girl singing um, and he hears her through a toilet door. How do you think we could stage that? Um, yeah, I was thinking about that. I, I wonder, because I wondered whether actually all of these different locations is is going to be too confusing to do on stage mm. or, or at least will we'll complicate what we've already got. And actually whether um, you just, you transfer that moment to take place 
either on the bikes or in the cafeteria or whatever. And actually, other people not making much of a, a, a thing about her singing would make it even more strange that he's making such a thing about mm. it. And, and then you could, you, it means you could create an extended scene in the bike room um, yeah. or in the cafeteria, which are kind of the two locations that I think would be easiest to stage. I don't know yeah. what you think about that. No, I think that makes sense. I think we don't need the number of locations that they use in the film, and I think it would work... Yeah, because everyone's so dead-eyed all the time that I think it wouldn't feel strange to have them have those conversations there. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really good solution to that. Um, and we've talked about the montage. There's a lot of pornographic elements to mm. this. Obviously, you can always record things and put them on screen um, as long as you know the theatre's happy for them to be there. But then there's also these moments of uh, the girl is at the audition and then suddenly she becomes is transformed into a porn star essentially would you want to do that explicitly they just kind of put her on stage all of a sudden but we could do some kind of quick change or some kind of some movement again some kind of choreographed moment where she changes what would you think about that i wonder i i mean i I think a choreographed moment could definitely work but i wonder whether there is a way of of doing it purely through projection because the whole point is is the moment that she is commodified in that way, she becomes part of the world that we've already seen that is commodity and all of commodity is projected. It's not real. Um, And so the moment that she... At that moment, if we never saw that actress on stage again Mm. and we only saw her through projection, there would be a, a disconnect between the real person and then the kind of commodification of that person um, at the end. Mm. I don't know what you think about that, whether, whether that would work better. I mean, I think there's definitely a... You could do some kind of choreographed thing, but I think perhaps that that would make that point a bit better about commodification of human beings in, in yeah. becoming entertainers. I think, I think that makes sense. Uh, the kind of idea of her actually just disappearing at that moment and never you never see her, the actress herself on stage again yes. after that, I think would be really effective. Yeah, yeah. Um, My other thought that I had is just that that monologue that he does to the judges is absolutely stunning and I wonder whether in the show there's still all of these lights and stuff going on Mm. I don't know whether you 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 keep the lights going on or you just go fully to just a spotlight of Mm. just him and you you bring everything else down during that monologue yeah Um, and then at the end of the monologue you can almost either bring it up quickly or snap it all back up Mm. as soon as that's over and the judge is like I loved everything you were doing yeah yeah Um, there's this uh, I, I really like that moment where he's 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 poured his heart out and he's he's delivered this cascade of of everything that's wrong with the society that, that that has been shown to us, and then the judge does the same thing he always does throughout the the film, which is start with that was the, and then he somehow manages to twist it into something. And um, yeah, what you could do with the lights there is is something on those lines where almost yeah you could have that spotlight on him, and then it could move almost or a second one up onto that one judge and well this is the thing I'm thinking I'm thinking is that we kind of want to see the judge's reactions through that but, because a lot of them he's talking to him so they could still be on the screen Yeah, we but could, we could only have him lit yeah that. I wonder you kind of still have him on the screen or there is something about um, if we can if we stop seeing the judges and we only see what he's saying mm. then there is a kind of tension there in that we don't know how the judges are re- responding mm. and then you bring the light back up and you could we're talking about projecting sort of live streaming the face mm. onto the back screen you live stream that, his face and that's the moment where we see the reaction of the judge and mm. that's the moment where we see him try and turn it into something else mm. something other than just this guy's just kind of completely torn apart the system in one speech yeah um, 
Yeah, there's definitely there's something you could do there. Either we bring the lights down, or having the judges just on the screen. But yeah. you can definitely get that full reaction of the judge if we did it the way we're talking about, where they're sat in the typical place of um, the X Factor, but then you're live streaming their faces onto the screen. Yeah, and you could do it through that way. Yeah, or even even if if they were at the right height or whatever, even during that monologue, because everyone would be so focused on him, we could even turn them around. Yeah. So that when it comes back up, everyone can see them live. I don't know, just because I feel I find those things more effective. Yeah, when, absolutely. When no, I think that could definitely work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah cool. they sound like really good solutions to to a lot of a lot of stuff. Yeah, um, I think that that kind of gives us the the kind of broad idea, right? We've got mm. this kind of creation of a sort of large black box that is through digital screens, mm-hmm. and then there's kind of these choreographed elements that bring us from scene to scene, and then tr- try and put some of the scenes in the show together into kind of more extended scenes in one location and um, we kind of talked about the sort of minimalist sets that use the kind of a similar aesthetic right to the original show and we talked about some multi-rolling as well um, and kind of elements of lighting outside of that box to kind of get the most out of all of these different mm. things I think that kind of gives us an idea of what we're going for here yeah, right yeah. and I think it frames it in a way that will get the most out of the message of the show as well uh, that kind of idea of commodification and lack of materiality and um, how one can kind of sell out into that so easily even if the thing that they're doing is talking about everything that's wrong with it there's a kind of selling out in that as well mm. I think that's that's a really good summary that sounds great to me <laughs> cool that's everything thanks very much for listening uh, Jake where can people find you online I am at Jake Reesh on Twitter and Instagram that's J-A-K-E-R-E-E-S-H um, and where are you Kevin? I'm at Caleb Lebster on Instagram and Twitter. That's C-A-L-E-B-L-E-B-S-T-E-R. Cool. And we are Maybe You Like It Productions. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Maybe You Like It with a text speak U. And on Facebook at Maybe You Like It Productions with a normal U. And at MaybeYouLikeIt.co.uk. And you can email us at info at MaybeYouLikeIt.co.uk. Sick. We did it. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Maybe you liked that. Maybe you didn't. That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it, maybe you didn't.